How's that? There we go. Thank you, Brother Tyler. Um, was that a message this morning or what? I'm telling you, I don't care where you would have chosen to go to church, anywhere in the nation today. I don't care what TV program you would have chosen to tune into. Um, I'm just telling you, you would not have heard a better exposition and a more powerful presentation of Philippians chapter 2 than what you heard this morning. Uh, that was an anointed message, and you could tell that Brother Tyler's been in that passage for a couple of weeks now because it had gotten in him. And when it gets in the preacher, it's got to come out somehow. And sometimes it comes out like this morning. There's just this big explosion of the Holy Spirit, and it just happens. And had one lady saved this morning, and thankful for that. And we ought to get excited about that. I mean, listen, Joel come up, he's all, he was all sporting his ugly Miami Dolphins tie and was so proud because they beat the Patriots. Listen, that doesn't compare to somebody getting snatched from hell and on their way to heaven. Mercy, I'm telling you that. I'm telling you, it's just there's nothing better than that. And that's why we gather. That's why we gather is to see people saved. That's our mission at 310 West Pancake. That's why God gave us this location and these facilities was to enhance our ability to reach people for Jesus Christ. And can I just remind you that this is not for us. This is for them. And if we ever lose sight of that, we're going to be in trouble. So that's just a little, little message on top of the bigger message. Let's go to Acts chapter 22 tonight. Acts chapter 22. Church, a uh, couple of things real quick. Please be in prayer for Brother Martin Swanson and his family uh, in the death of his grandmother uh, just this week. I believe the funeral services are on Tuesday at uh, Grace Lutheran. And then also pray for uh, Mary Hall. Her mother passed away yesterday. <laughs> Brother Ed and Mary are there now. And um, I don't think they would mind me uh, saying this tonight. Uh, there's just a lot of turmoil uh, there in that home and in that family. And Brother Ed and Mary are doing their best to bring some semblance of civility to the setting there. So pray for them, would you please? And I know that they would, would really, really appreciate that. When I returned home from church after preaching my last message in this church life series, well, Tyler sent me a, a text stating that the take-home truth for him from that message was this, and this is the text he sent me, when you consider how God loved you when you hated him, you will be motivated to love those who hate you. And I hope that that was exactly what you went home with because that was the intended purpose of the message. Whether you're suffering mistreatment at, the, uh, at home by an unloving spouse or perhaps by a disrespectful child or, or whether it's a, an ex-spouse or an ex-spouse's new spouse or whether it's at work where you're having to deal with a boss who's a jerk 
or a co-worker who's a backstabber, or whether it's here, God forbid, at church, the Lord's expectation is for you and I to show love. But preacher, why? Because as I just said, he showed love to you and to me when we didn't love him. Earlier in chapter 21 of Acts, Paul was misunderstood. We've preached about this. He was misrepresented and he was mistreated as he was accosted by an angry mob of, of zealous Jews who beat him and no doubt would have beaten him to death had they not been stopped by the chief captain whom Luke later identifies as Claudius Lysias. And so when he was uh, being escorted uh, away from the mob, he asked Claudius Lysias if he could address those people who had assaulted him. And Paul was granted permission to do just that. And, and the, 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 the more part of Acts chapter 22 is taken up with Paul's testimony of how he had come to know the Lord. And those Jews were, were listening to him and they were respecting what he had to say about this story of, of meeting Jesus and how Jesus saved him and how Jesus had changed his life. And, and they were all in tune, but then Paul began to explain to them how God had called him and commissioned him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And at that point, when he mentioned Gentiles, it was over. They were done listening. They, they, were, they were through. Because these Jews could not tolerate the suggestion that Gentiles could be saved without first becoming Jewish proselytes. I mean, here's what that would mean. It would mean that they were then spiritually equal to the Jewish people before God. And that was a blatant heresy as far as they were concerned. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Acts chapter 22, better get there myself, Acts chapter 22 and verse 23. And let me just, let me just tell you, for the, next, for the next few weeks, we're going to be reading some large passages of Scripture. Though I'll not be preaching from every verse that we read, but I think it's important for us to stay tuned into the narrative of, of what's happening in Paul's life at this point because it's very important. He's on a journey and, and God is involved in it all and we'll talk a little bit about that tonight. So in this message, we're going to finish chapter 22 and we're going to read all of chapter 23 and I'll give you some commentary along the way, but then I want to go back and share uh, some thoughts with you about one particular thing, and I hope that, that it will be a blessing to you. Acts chapter 23, or chapter 22, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, let's look at it, verse 23. And as they cried out, again, Paul had been speaking to them, now he's mentioned the Gentiles, now they're, uh, now they're outraged again, and as they cried out, 
and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the chief captain commanded him, that's Paul, to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know, that is, the, the chief captain might know, wherefore they cried so against him. So as far as, uh, uh, as Claudius Lysias was concerned, if he couldn't get the truth out of Paul one way, then he would get it out of him another way, that is, by beating him. And so now they've got Paul stretched out. Brother Tyler talked about the, the beating of Jesus this morning. It would have been in the same form and the same fashion. They've now got Paul stretched out, and they are about to lay the cat of nine tails across his bare back. And in verse 25, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man? That is a Roman and uncondemned. When the centurion heard that, that is that Paul was a Roman, he went and told the chief captain saying, take heed what thou doest for this man is a Roman. Now listen, what they were about to do to Paul was a huge breach of the law. This military commander, unbeknownst to him, was about to throw his entire career away by beating Paul, who was a Roman citizen. Verse 27, Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, with a great sum of money, or excuse me, with a great sum, obtained I this freedom. <laughs> and Paul said, but I was freeborn. You see, in, in those days, it was not uncommon to purchase Roman citizenship by way of a bribe. And that's exactly what this centurion was saying to Paul. Listen, I paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. Paul said, it really stinks to be you. I was born one. So Paul kind of puts him in his place. Verse 29, Then straightway they departed from him which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman. Please keep that in mind. This guy didn't know. He did not know that Paul was a Roman until Paul brought it to his attention. And after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him, verse 30, on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priest and all their council to appear. So now we're talking about the Sanhedrin, all right, the Sanhedrin council. He, he commanded them, he called a, uh, a meeting of the Sanhedrin, and he brought Paul down, and he set him before them. Okay, you got the picture? And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, verse 23, verse 1, or chapter 23, verse 1, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. 
And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. In other words, he turned to somebody and said, hit that guy in the mouth. And then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me according to the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? Here you are, you whited wall, you're, you're supposed to be upholding the law and standing for the law, and, and how dare you smite me in, in, in contradiction to the law that you say you believe and that you say you hold up? Now the question at this point, it seems like a lot of commentators, a lot of others make a big deal about this. Was Paul right or wrong when he called out Ananias and disrespected Ananias and called him on the carpet for his hypocrisy? Because that's exactly what he did. You remember when Jesus called the, the, the Pharisees whited sepulchers? The, the meaning there is that you appear to be one way on the outside. You're all pretty and all prim and proper and all spiritual on the outside. But Jesus said on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You're rotten. You're, you're filthy. And so that's exactly what Paul was doing. He was calling Ananias a hypocrite. He called him a whited wall. Now again to the question, was Paul right or wrong? By responding in anger and with disrespect. Having lunch with a family today and, and we got to talking about the message tonight. And, 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 and talking about this specific thing in the life of the Apostle Paul. And I told you, I'll tell you what I told them. I don't think there's any reason to try to whitewash what we just read. Paul was wrong. Paul responded in the flesh. Paul got angry, just like most of us would have gotten angry if somebody smacks us in the mouth. And he was mad, and he got angry, and the great apostle Paul sinned, and Luke recorded it. You know what that tells me? Paul was human. Romans chapter 7, Paul was very honest about his struggles with the flesh. He said, there are some times I want to do things, but my flesh won't let me do them. And there are some times I don't want to do things, and the flesh takes over, and I do those things. And I'm guessing that this was a time when Paul didn't want to do that, but the flesh took over. And he said, you're a hypocrite. He got angry. Well, preacher, that means it's okay if... I do it because Paul did it. No. Paul was wrong and you would be wrong. And I would be wrong. But the point is, Paul was wrong when he did that. But let's go on. Let me show you something else. Verse 4. And, and they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? And then Paul said, I wish not. I didn't know. I didn't realize, brethren that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. So here Paul acknowledges his wrongdoing. He was humble enough to recognize, Sir, I'm sorry. 
I didn't, I didn't realize who you were. There, there are different, a lot of speculations why Paul didn't recognize who he was. But we know that Paul didn't recognize him. He didn't know he was the high priest. And so Paul apologized. I didn't know it was him. So kudos to Paul. Admitted, I was wrong. I was disrespectful. And I apologize for that. Verse 6. But when Paul perceived that the one part, now this is funny, the one part were Sadducees, this side were Sadducees, this side were Pharisees. When Paul looked out and he saw that, <laughs> he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. <laughs> and when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. If you know anything about your Bible, and you know anything about the Sadducees, you know this, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in angels. And you can't tell me that Paul wasn't being a little bit ornery here when he said, well, I'm being called into, into account because of my belief in the resurrection. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's this big uproar. And now this side's feuding with this side. For the Sadducees say in verse 8, there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. <laughs> and there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part rose and strove, that they stood up and they looked at this other side, and they said, we find no evil in this man. I mean, they were ready to hang him yesterday. And now here he is standing before him, and he's calling out the Sadducees, and now they're standing up, and they're defending Paul. Well, I don't know what the big deal is. They were, they were egging it on. I mean, they had a chance to, to dig at their, their, on the, the Sadducees, so they're taking advantage of it. So we find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel, then they are pouring it on. Have spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down, <coughs> excuse me, and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. So you've got a group of 40 men who said, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink, and God kill us if we do, before we kill Paul. And they came to the chief priest and elders and said, and here's their plan, 
We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain, and here, here's their plan. You, you tell the chief captain tomorrow to bring Paul down as though you would inquire something more perfectly concerning him. In other words, you bring him down, and here's the reason why. We've got a few more questions for him. And we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. And when Paul's sister's son, we didn't even know Paul had a sister, but he does. And how many of you think it was just coincidence that Paul's nephew heard what was going on? No, it's not coincidence, it's called providence. It's God's intervention. So Paul's nephew's standing there, he overhears this. It says there in verse 16. And so he went and he told Paul. Verse 17, then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, which hath something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is that thou hast to tell me? Son, why, why, what's the big deal? What's, what's the urgency? What do, you got, what do you got for me to know? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire uh, somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain, Claudius Lysias, the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed these things unto me. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, that's seventy, and spearmen two hundred, At the third hour of the night. Okay, get this. 470 soldiers and one Baptist preacher. It's nuts. And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner. This guy is so pious it stinks. Claudius Lysias. Under the most excellent governor Felix sendeth greeting. Gag. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Can you say liar, liar, pants on fire? That's why I told you to pay attention to the fact the guy didn't know he was a Roman. But yet he writes to Felix, say, Felix, I just want you to know that this man was going to be killed, but I intervened because I knew he was a Roman and I knew that would be wrong. No, he did it because he knew that if Felix found out what he did, that he would lose his life. This guy's a liar. 
Just thought I'd throw that out there. And when I would have known the cause whereof they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to uh, Antipatris. On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle, who, when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle, uh, the letter to the governor, presented Paul uh, also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, said, I will hear thee, said he, verse 35, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. In our next time together, we're going to read of Paul's historic appearance before Felix and his wife Drusilla and the impact that his words had on them. But for now, I want us to go back to uh, chapter 23 there in verse 11. Acts chapter 23 and verse 11. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. With the Lord's help, I want to share some thoughts with you tonight under this title. Be of good cheer, the Lord is near. Be of good cheer, the Lord is near. After the events of the past two days, you know that Paul had to be feeling totally defeated and utterly discouraged. I mean, we've been reading about Paul's desire to go to Jerusalem, and he was so excited to get there. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we know that he was carrying with him a large benevolence offering. They had, he had raised money uh, for the, the poor there in Jerusalem, and he was so excited about getting there and delivering to them this, this offering. But there's another reason more important than that, and it's because he was looking forward to delivering the truth of the gospel to his fellow Jews. Paul loved his Jewish brothers and sisters, and he so wanted them to experience the same grace and salvation that he had experienced. He had a burden for them, so much so that he said this in Romans 9, I say the truth in Christ, I lay not, lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know what Paul's saying there? Saying this, I would gladly go to hell. If it meant that those I loved could be saved and go to heaven. That's a burden for the lost. 
and to receive such ill treatment at the hands of those that he loves so much must have been a crushing blow. No doubt all of this must have made Paul wonder about the future. Would he ever leave Jerusalem alive? Would he ever make it to Rome, which we know was something else that he desperately wanted to do? As one writer described it, in whatsoever direction he could look, prison walls or a bloody grave stood before him and hedged up his way either to Rome or to any other field of future usefulness. And so there's Paul. And he's in the midst of all of this. And it's into these circumstances that the Lord stood by him and encouraged him. And I might add tonight, it's in this same manner that he encourages us. Let me just share three things with you as quickly as I can. Number one, the Lord encourages us with his presence in our difficult circumstances. This is the fourth time that the Lord has appeared to Paul. The first time, uh, first time of course, was on the road to Damascus in, in Acts chapter 9. The second time was in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. The third time was in Jerusalem in chapter 22. And now here the Lord came and he spoke these words of encouragement to Paul in what were some very, very difficult times. There are a few things if you're taking notes that I think we can take away from the Lord's appearance to Paul. And here's the first one. The Lord knows all of our difficult circumstances. Listen, God didn't need to send out some kind of of angelic search party to find Paul. He knew exactly where Paul was, and he needed what he needed at that very moment. Listen to me tonight. I know that sometimes it's easy to wonder if maybe God has forgotten about you, if maybe God has, has turned a blind eye to your specific circumstances, to your specific uh, prison of, of difficulty, whether it be a, a physical illness or a financial crisis or a marriage crisis or, or, or the burden of a wayward family member or whatever. I know sometimes we can get so down and so burdened and so discouraged that we wonder, we look up into the into the heavens and we wonder is God even there does God even know I'm here is God aware of what's going on and it's easy for us to convince ourselves at times that no one knows what we're going through but listen to me to church rest assured tonight God knows and be confident of this tonight he cares it makes a difference to him Paul reminds us in Hebrews 4.15 that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The Lord knows about our difficult circumstances. And then I'll say this, he's with us in those circumstances. Verse 11 says, the Lord stood by him. I love that. None of us should ever expect a visible manifestation of Jesus. But we can know that he's with us. And listen, that's just not preacher speak tonight. That's not a cop out. That's the honest to God truth. Because Jesus said himself, lo, I am with you always. 
even unto the end of the world. Amen. And may I remind you of these words from Hebrews 13. I will never, never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Well, Pastor, how does the Lord manifest his presence? I think there are a couple of ways. Sometimes he does it through his written word. Listen, church, that's why, that's why we need to stay in the word. That's why from, from today until Wednesday night and then the following Sunday, listen, don't expect myself or Brother Tyler to give you everything you need spiritually as far as food is concerned. You need to stay in the Word of God because it's through the written Word of God that He often brings comfort to us in those difficult times. But not just through His written Word. Sometimes God brings, brings us comfort by way of, of spoken words from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it may be via a text message or an email or a card that you get in the mail. Or maybe every now and then somebody just comes up to you out in the foyer or here in the auditorium or in a hallway somewhere and just puts their arm around you and say, listen, I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I know that it's hard right now. I just want you to know, our family's praying for you. And if there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. And, and I don't know about you, but the more random those things are, the more apparent to me that it's from God. Does that make sense? But just out of nowhere, this thing, this text comes up. Or this email comes, or this card in the mail, or somebody catches you, like I said. And, and, and it's the randomness of it that confirms, in my heart anyway, that that's of the Lord. God sent them. God prompted them. God urged them. And it lets me know in my heart that God is with me. And that He does know. And that He does care. And then I remind you of this. The Lord understands how we feel. In all of our difficult circumstances. How many of you believe this tonight? God doesn't waste any words. Absolutely not. He doesn't say be of good cheer. Unless he knows that that is exactly what we need to hear. Let me, let me go back for just a moment. And uh, I don't want to embarrass Marlon tonight. But... Uh, the day after TJ's death, we were getting ready to leave town. And we stopped by Hutch's to get some gas. And I walked out. And there's Brother Marlon. Just gave me a big old hug and started crying. God knew at that moment that I needed a friend. I'm thankful that God put him there. And listen, God, God knows how we feel. 
Again, he didn't just say on because he didn't have anything else to say to Paul, hey, dude, cheer up, it's going to be okay. God said that to Paul because he knew that's what Paul needed to hear. And how many times has somebody said something to you and you've responded, you have no idea how much that means to me. I needed to hear that. Because God knows how we feel. Just to reiterate, uh, reiterate, Paul was disappointed over the way things had gone in Jerusalem. The church had not really appreciated his ministry. He had been falsely accused. He had been beaten by a mob. And now he was no doubt feeling depressed, which often happens after physical injury. And he's in jail. And he's feeling uncertain uh, and fearful about the future. And I'm telling you tonight, God understood all of that. And note here that God didn't condemn Paul for feeling any of that. But he didn't let him stay that way either. I remind you a moment ago of Hebrews chapter 4, how the Lord knows how we feel. And the reason he knows how we feel is because he's felt it too. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 2. Wherefore in all things... It behooved him to be made. Brother Tyler preached on this this morning. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, us. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor. That word means to come to the aid of them that are tempted. So here's what I'm saying tonight. There's nothing that you've ever experienced or are experiencing now or ever will experience in the future, excuse me, that Jesus himself has not already experienced. Loneliness, fatigue, betrayal, frustration, abandonment, you name it, he's been there and he's done that. And that's why he knows how to help us. That's why he knows what we need and when we need it. Because he's been there and he's, he's, he's gone through all of those things. So the Lord knows all about our circumstances. Nothing catches him off guard. He knows and he's there and he understands. And one last thought here. The Lord encourages us in all our difficult circumstances. Be of good cheer, Paul. How comforting those words must have been coming from the Lord himself. Be of good cheer. Now let me point something out about those words. They are a command. Albeit they're gentle and they're gracious but they are a command nonetheless. And so here's what that means. We can either obey or disobey. The choice is ours. Pastor, how's that? How can I disobey this command? Well, one way is to stubbornly refuse the help that the Lord sends us through His Word or through the words of fellow believers who try to encourage us. 
I mean, God sends somebody our way, and they speak into, into our situation, into our circumstance, and they do so because they love us and because they care about us. And that's God's way of saying, be of good cheer. And when you and I just blow that off, like, well, they don't really care about me. They're just saying that. We're disobeying. Listen, God sent them to you with a word for you. Receive it. Accept it. When we choose rather to wallow in self-pity or withdraw from others or be angry with God, listen, we're choosing disobedience. But when we accept the words of comfort and consolation offered by our brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that their heart is to help us, that's an obedient response. When we choose to believe God's word and his continued love for us and his perpetual presence in our lives, that's an act of obedience. When we choose to count our blessings and rejoice in what we have left rather than in what we've lost, that is a conscious decision to be of good cheer. So the Lord encourages us with his presence in our difficult circumstances. A second way he encouraged Paul and a way that he encourages us is by praise of our past service. For thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, the Lord said. Even though Paul's witness was not well received, the Lord commended him for it. When you read, when you read the account of Paul's day in Jerusalem, you get the impression that everything was, was, was an utter failure. His attempt to win over the Jews only helped cause a riot. His witness before the Sanhedrin left them in confusion. <laughs> I was like, well, how was that a success? Why would the Lord say, good job, Paul, you did good. Because the results are not up to us. Nowhere, as far as I know, in Acts chapter 21, 22, and 23, do we read of even one person coming to know Christ. Not one. I stand to be corrected there, but I think I'm right. Nowhere. And Paul's talking about Jesus. And not one person comes to know him as his Savior. None of what Paul did produced even one convert. But listen to me tonight. It was not Paul's responsibility to produce converts. It was Paul's responsibility to share the truth. It was Paul's responsibility to get the gospel out there and leave the converts up to God. All too often we judge our success for the Lord by the amount of immediate, tangible results that we can see. But the truth is, we should be measuring our effectiveness by this one thing, and this one thing only, was I faithful to God and His Word? Had Brother Tyler preach his guts out this morning, and nobody got saved. 
it still would have been successful because he was faithful to the Lord and he was faithful to his word. That's how we ought to judge. Is God okay with us? Did we do good? One of my favorite verses, and no doubt some of you have received it in a text or a, a card that I've sent you because I use it a lot. And Brother Tyler used it this morning, and I leaned over to his mother, and I said, he's using my verse. <laughs> I love this verse, Brother Tyler, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love. Well, does God even see what I'm doing? Man, I'm down here working, I'm faithful, I'm giving all these hours, I'm giving all this money, I'm doing all of this. Does, does, has God forgotten about? No! God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And I like what Paul said to the Corinthians, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Listen, even if no one else seems to appreciate what you do for the Lord, and though others may not recognize it, don't be discouraged. God sees it. And God appreciates it. And he will reward it. And then lastly, the Lord encourages us with promises for future service. He said to Paul that night, Paul, you've done good in witnessing in Jerusalem. But I just want you to know that you're going to bear witness for me in Rome too. In other words, are you listening? In other words, Paul, <laughs> I'm not finished with you yet. You will survive this and you will go to Rome. And later on, and we'll read about it in chapter 27 of Acts, verse 24, when, when, when Paul and, and everybody else on the ship were just absolutely certain they were all going to die, God showed up again, and God said, Thou must be brought before Caesar. Listen to me. When God says you must, you must. <laughs> Arkant Hughes said, God's servants are immortal. God's servants are immortal. Until their work is done. No servant of God dies a premature death. <laughs> you know why you're still here tonight? Because God's not through with you. Well, I don't know. I know. I know. God's not through with you. Even though you may have been wounded in your, in your spirit by something someone said, listen to me tonight, don't quit. Because God's not through with you. Even though you may not be seeing the results that, that you want to see in whatever ministry you're involved in, don't quit. God's not through with you. 
Even though you may not be able, you're sitting here tonight and say, Preacher, I just can't do what I used to be able to do. Don't quit. God's not through with you yet. High five the person next to you tonight and say, God's not through with me. Let's try that one more time. High five the person next to you and say, God's not through with me. I'm telling you tonight, you're sitting in Fellowship Baptist Church tonight because God is not through with you. Now, let me say this in closing. As the Lord seeks to encourage you, be a channel of encouragement to others. Don't just let God's encouragement come and stop. As God encourages you, let that flow through you and you be a channel of encouragement to others. Choose this week, maybe even tonight, maybe tomorrow. Choose to be that person who speaks words of encouragement to others. Whether it be in person tomorrow or via a text or a Facebook post, it doesn't matter. Let God's encouragement to you flow through you and so you can be an encouragement to others. So here's the invitation tonight. If you feel like you're in a prison of of some kind right now, again, whether it be emotionally or physically or relationally or spiritually, be of good cheer. The Lord is near. God knows about it, and He's near you, and He knows how you feel. If you feel like your service to the Lord has been in vain in some ways, rest assured, it hasn't been. Listen to me tonight. You that that have been working on the buses for years and, and you feel, well, man, I'm just out here doing this. It just doesn't seem like anything's happening. Listen, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. For those of you who, who man and woman now, the nurseries, Listen, it's not in vain. For you that are in children's church, it's not in vain. And in case you're wondering, preacher, does it mean anything that I'm upstairs on a Sunday morning in children's church? Well, let me tell you this. The lady who got saved this morning was in here. Her daughter was up in children's church. And while some of you were ministering to her, she got to listen to the gospel unhindered and undivided. And she got saved today. Listen, your ministry meant the difference in her life between heaven and hell. So you tell me tonight, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Every single time it's worth it. Listen, those of you who stand out there in the hallway and you greet people as they come in and you wonder, well, is it ever, is it really worth it? Are we just doing this so people are going to have something to do? The family we had lunch with today testified to this fact that one of the reasons they kept coming here and are even here tonight is because of the friendliness people shaking their hands and people greeting them and people welcoming them. So if you're wondering tonight, well, is it worth it? Let me tell you, it is worth it. It's not in vain. The truth is tonight, church, nothing we do for God 
is in vain. Not, not just the people on the platform, but the people spread throughout this building on any given Sunday. Your ministry is not. Are you listening? It's not in vain. And if you're wondering, well, I wonder if God has anything for me to do anymore. Listen, if you're sitting up tonight sucking air, it's because God's got something for you to do. Somewhere. For somebody. All for his glory. Let's pray.